Call me a, I'm a simple plan fan. Call me a poser. I dare you. <laughs> Name their top three albums. <laughs> Do they have three? <laughs> I don't know. I think it might just be two. <laughs> okay. I had at least two. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the accessibly young, deeply hip, and inspirationally lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis, back from Peru. Yes, I'm sorry to disappoint that if you started listening last week, you thought it was just Olga and Ashley. I'm here to ruin your experience. <laughs> and Olga Segura. Hey, guys. Good to have you back, Zach. Yeah, we missed you. It's good to be back. Yeah. It was also good to be gone. <laughs> so where were you, Zach? I was traveling in Peru. I did the Inca Trail mm. and Machu Picchu. Nice. So that was pretty great. And so that relates to... What's on tap, Zach? Yes. So I brought back Pisco, which is... Have you, has anyone had Pisco before? No, I don't think so. I, haven't, I hadn't either before I went, but it's sort of... Uh, it's like a brandy, I guess, but it's mm. Peru's national drink for sure. Nice. Um, and the Jesuits are famous for making pisco throughout yeah. different regions what, of Peru it, in the Sacred Valley. What's it made of? Grapes. It's Grapes. like so super... it's like a wine liquor? No, it's like a liquor, liquor, like distilled. <laughs> like very, a liquor, liquor, like, wow. Di- very distilled grapes, which is okay. kind of cool. Okay. So it's like at 45% and it's made from grapes, which is okay. Ooh, okay. We, very we're, we're just drinking it straight or what? No, so we have crafted a Pisco Sour, which were sort of everywhere in Cusco where I was staying. Can I have a whiskey on the rocks but you, with Pisco? You could have a Pisco, <laughs> pisco on, the on the rocks if you wanted. All right, well, okay. Thanks, I miss Zach. you guys. Yeah, yeah cheers. Thank Welcome you. back. Cheers. There we go. Oh, oh I like. That's good. It's sour. Wow. I love yeah. sour. Thanks, Zach. No problem. All right. Who's our guest, Olga? So today we're chatting with Brandon Vaught, who is a blogger and author of the new book, Why I'm Catholic and You Should Be Too. And he also works closely with Bishop Robert Barron. He's the content director for Bishop Barron's nonprofit media organization. So we'll be chatting with him. And then after that, we've got Consolations and Desolations, the part of the show where we tell you where we did or didn't find God this week. But first, Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. First, Pope Francis is missing. (laughs) (laughs) Not really, but... There's, uh, I've got a story from Domenico, who is a native of a town in South Jersey, where there was a papal scandal. Oh boy! Yes, I didn't. Did the Pope go to New Jersey? He did not. Not he random. did not go to Washington Township, <laughs> New Jersey. But there was a cardboard cutout of him, which we have one in American media. You may right have seen it. It horrifies desk, yeah. me every day every I morning, walk in. <laughs> Pope Francis, because he's not like really smiling. He's just sort yeah. of like, soft grinning. With... <laughs> um, but anyway, so. A cutout of the Pope was stolen from St. Charles Borromeo Church, and people freaked out. And this crime was reported on a, I have a special place in my heart for this, that it was on a Township Talk Facebook group for the for the town. <laughs> a so Township Talk. I love that? my own hometown's Facebook group, and yeah. so someone said, have you seen the Pope? It's missing. And <laughs> the comments freaked out. People were like, ha ha ha, someone just walked out door with the Pope, and then people were like, this isn't funny. They want Didn't it back. did the police get involved? <laughs> yes. Then the this police decided that they needed to chime in and post from their official account. So they posted, and it got shared over 700 times. 
Um, there was a so report. Who did this? Yeah, so who are the culprits? There was a report in the comment section that an older blonde woman, 70 ish, carrying a shoulder bag with oxygen lines around her neck. The oh older woman God. was heard arguing that it was okay to take the Pope because the hall was part of the rec center and not the actual <laughs> church, and that her son dressed as the Pope last year for Halloween, so he would want the Pope. This is unreal. <laughs> oh my God. So people were all over. Do you think that? Do you think this woman was just trying to get on Jesuitical? She <laughs> succeeded because this is she, this is a definitely made for Jesuitical. She succeeded, story. but turns out someone gave the Pope back. Oh, don't know how, but okay. the All Pope right. was returned. Glad this had cool. a happy ending. Yes, <laughs> the next Pope Francis story we are bringing does not have a happy ending. Well, well, I don't it know. Depends. It depends on who you are in the story. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> This one is about the real Pope Francis, not a cardboard cutout. There was a group of prisoners in Bologna, Italy, that were supposed to be having lunch with Pope Francis. And during his October 1 trip, uh, he was scheduled to meet with 20 prisoners from a local drug rehab center, as long as refugees and poor from the area. And it's part of his lunch of solidarity. Okay. Um, And instead, two of the Italian prisoners decided to take the opportunity and escape because wow. they figured people would be paying attention to the Pope. <laughs> and they were right. <laughs> I think my favorite part of this story is the line that stands on its own. They have yet to be found. <laughs> they have yet to be found. So, Wow. Well done. <laughs> okay. What's our next story, Ashley? One, one more Pope Francis story. This one's a little more serious. Yeah. Um, so Pope Francis, ha- in a day-long conference marking the 25th anniversary of the publication of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I was celebrating that yeah. in Peru. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> yep. Over Pisco Sours. Yep. <laughs> um, he said the death penalty is contrary to the gospel and in- inadmissible. Um, so the Pope has... Spoken right. against said the this before. death penalty before, but this was, um, you know, the fact that he was saying it on the day of the anniversary mm-hmm. of the catechism, which itself leaves, you know, there's kind of a loophole for when you can, it's, you know, it says there are very rare cases when you can use the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is being seen as the Pope kind of opening the door to developing doctrine and you know, making it official church teaching that we, in under no circumstances, use the death penalty. And it's interesting because um, it's been revised before, but it's it's never really, as you said, Ashley, excluded in all cases the death penalty. Yeah, and so because those, of that, and those cases are basically like if you can't keep society safe without killing someone yeah. who's seen as a danger. I've heard people arguing that like mob bosses can order hit jobs from mm-hmm. prison. Yes. Sister Helen Prejean, mm-hmm. a very famous uh, activist against the death penalty, the uh, author of Dead Man Walking, has said she has heard uh, lawyers uh, in court point to the catechism as a justification for pursuing the death penalty. So, you know, closing that loophole would be significant um, in in the American criminal justice system. It's also an issue because it's it disproportionately also affects people of color, right? And not all people are on board with this, correct? No. Well, not everyone's on board with revising the catechism. Right. Right. It could be a slippery slope situation. Right. If you change this text that's only 25 years old in a 2,000-year-old <laughs> church, it could lead to a lot of other changes. And I think there's a problem that people have with specifically altering some type of moral teaching mm-hmm. in general. Although the teaching on the death penalty is already changed quite a bit right yeah no it used to be the catholic church used to sanction killing heretics like i think it's a much smaller jump to go from where we are today to like 
completely banning the death penalty to the change that has already happened since, you know, like the time of Christendom when the Catholic Church sanctioned um, killing for apostasy. All right. What's next, Olga? So the Mexican state of Zacatecas plans to build... A- Actually, Olga, I I just got back from Latin America. Oh, yeah? And oh, yeah, Zach? I'm fluent in Spanish now. Oh, okay. So d- can you tell me who's my first language is Spanish, how to properly pronounce this? Uh, Yes. No, no, no. I, never mind. I think we'll just let... <laughs> you don't want to put me on the spot, no, right? No, okay, you're right. Never okay, mind. That's a bad right. idea. Um, so the Mexican state of Zacatecas, Zac, um, is actually <laughs> planning to build a 147-foot statue of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and it will. it's going to cost one four point two million dollars to build and they're actually hoping that it brings in religious tourism and it's going to be the biggest religious monument in the city and i think it's the largest our lady of guadalupe statue in the world so wow is anyone against (laughs) no anyone against building the statue uh i mean you know if it's being driven by devotion to our lady great if it's Mm -hmm. being driven by like wanting to get money Hey, no, actually, no. Hey, the Sistine I, Chapel yeah. was not motivated by. <laughs> All right, as long as they like actually get their money back, and like the people of this mm-hmm. town whose name I won't try to pronounce aren't like <laughs> getting taxed for it, that's yeah, fine with agreed, me. Agreed, agreed. And uh, the Virgin of Guadalupe is the patroness of the Americas, which includes not only Mexico and Latin America, but us in the United States as well. And America Magazine. And, and America Magazine. <laughs> What's next, Zach? So our next story comes from Youngstown, Ohio. Oh boy. God. Of course, you know Zach is back if there's an Ohio <laughs> reference in an episode. Correct. So in Youngstown, Ohio, a Presbyterian church that closed, uh, they're facing hard times. Most re- people are falling away from religion. Parishes are closing. Churches are closing. But this one has new life as the Church of Brew Works. <laughs> Uh, Eric Gerhardt finally got a place to open up his years-long dream of opening a brewery. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's in the remains of an old church. It looks like a church, but it is now a brewery. Wow. Okay. I'm into this. Yes? Yes. (laughs) Tell me why, Ashley. Um, Because I think there is, you know, the reality is we have empty churches, and it is kind of sad to go into a, a, Mm -hmm. you know, mostly empty church. And if we had... If everyone had to like congregate at the same church, you know, maybe like and not have seven different times every weekend, it wouldn't feel so empty. <laughs> the, you know, the most positive spin we could give to this is that when we sell off these old churches, mm-hmm. the, that money can be used to, you know, revitalize our social programs to help um, our brothers and sisters in need or to, you know, advance the new evangelization and bring Fresh young blood into our churches. <laughs> and win-win, the old ones become breweries. There we go. There you go. Okay. <laughs> All right. In case that wasn't inspiring enough for you, <laughs> we're going to end this week with this viral video from the Cardinal Sheehan School in Baltimore that really just like blew up on the internet this week because it's these adorable 11-year-olds singing Rise Up and like the most like powerful voices it's, it's you've so ever heard. I sing all the time and I never oh, go no, all right, it's, all right, it's all right. Do same. you sound like this? I definitely never made anyone tear up from my singing the way that I'm not tearing up now. 
No, but that was that was so beautiful. And I think that was the only that was the second time that choir of kids had gotten together to rehearse. Yeah. And look how amazing they sounded. I, I think it speaks to where our country is right now that like this did just, you know, go mm-hmm. viral. Like we need some hope. I got teary eyed watching this because it's it's always powerful for me to see like kids of color using music as an outlet. Like it's always been an outlet for communities of color and just kind of seeing all of these kids perform Andrea Day's Rise Up, it's just it's phenomenal. So today we're excited to welcome Brandon Vaught, author of Why I Am Catholic and You Should Be Too. Welcome to Jesuitical, Brandon. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks, guys. We're very excited. So before we get into Why I'm Catholic, can you tell us a little bit about how you became Catholic? The the how before the why. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. good. Both good questions. Um, I was raised as a Presbyterian and then I went off to college and like many young people going off to college, faith was kind of something that just, you know, my parents forced me to go to church. Did you go every week growing up? We did. Yeah. And we were, we were pretty involved. We were involved with the youth group and stuff, but I never encountered Jesus. I never read the Bible on my own. I never prayed other than sort of emergency style prayers. Uh, so I went off to college and just to appease my mom, I decided I was still going to keep going to church, but this is how lazy I was. I, d- I decided that I would just only go to the church that was closest to my dorm. And so <laughs> the first week I rolled out of bed and I walked on the street, didn't even know where I was really going and found this church that was, you know, 50 feet away and it ended up being a Methodist church. And at the time, I had no idea what the difference between a Presbyterian or Methodist was. I just knew it was a Christian church. So I thought, okay, I'll, this is where I'll go. It's easy. I can go there each Sunday. I can check the box <laughs> and be done with it. So I went to church there and for the first couple years of college, that's all I did. I went to ch- showed up at this Methodist church. It was intriguing. I, it really didn't affect me too much. That's still pretty like against the grain though to show up every yeah, week. It yeah, it is. It is. And, and there were, you know, a decent sized crowd each Sunday. Uh, and interestingly, a lot of them were so warm and welcoming. Every, almost every Sunday, someone new would come up and sit next to me and say, hey, great to have you. Great to, you know, we're so glad you're here. Welcome. And maybe, you're hard pressed to find that in the Catholic church. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you could go two years without ever being yeah. acknowledged. Yep. Yeah. But uh, they kept inviting me to do other stuff, come out to, you know, this Bible study we're doing, come out to play sports, come out to do all these other activities. And I came up with every excuse in the book to avoid them. Uh, but eventually, after two years, uh, finally, one week, and they asked me to go out to lunch after church. They said, hey, a bunch of us are going out to lunch. You want to come? And I was trying to think of an excuse, and I, I couldn't. You know, I'd wasted <laughs> all of them over the last two years. So, I took them up, went out to lunch, and I, I had a great time. Loved these guys. They were real uh, sincere, real warm, real welcoming. And so, I started going to lunch with them after church uh, mm-hmm. for several weeks. And then I started getting involved with some of the other things. They were doing a Bible study and invited me to that. And it was through these small groups and these communities that I really fell in love with the Lord. And I started reading the gospels on my own, was just so struck by the person of Jesus. Um, I started praying on my own. I started reading Christian books, which I never would have Mm -hmm. done any time before that. So, my sophomore, junior year, my faith started to really bloom in this Methodist church. 
But then as my senior year crept up, uh, I'd been dating uh, a woman since high school, who's now my wife, and she was born and raised Catholic. Ah. This never really came up. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it really is. It's always love. (laughs) She was the one that sparked my interest in Catholicism because marriage was on the horizon. We were about Mm -hmm. to graduate. And so the question naturally arose, you know, what are we going to do with our faith? You know, I really was getting involved with this Methodist church to the point where I was like leading Bible studies by my senior year. I was preaching sermons on Sundays in this little Methodist church. And I was even exploring going to seminary to become a Methodist uh, ministry leader. And so, how do I reconcile that with my wife's, my soon-to-be wife's Catholicism? And that's when I realized I I didn't know really anything about Catholicism. Mm -hmm. She was pretty pretty much the only openly Catholic person I knew. Had you been to Mass with her? I had, yeah. And it was all strange and confusing. I remember asking her like... Do you guys have communion every week? And she's like, and she's yeah. like every day, actually, if you want it. Yeah, usually it's kind of the main thing. Yeah. So uh, that was what first started getting me interested in Catholicism. I thought, out of respect and love for her, I should at least look into it to see what it's about. And that instigated a whole year of reading, studying, talking with other Catholics, praying, uh, all sorts of activities that culminated in me joining RCIA my senior year. And then two weeks before I graduated on Easter, I became Catholic in, in, uh, in college. All right. Um, so, The Why I'm Catholic, the book, um, would you consider it a book of apologetics And if so, can you define apologetics for our listeners? A little bit. Yeah. So, apologetics would be, it comes from the Greek word apologeia, which means defense. So, you're offering a defense of some belief or worldview. And there's a little bit of that in here. I'm defending Catholicism against the claims of its opposition. But more so, I would say it's a book of evangelization, which is a more offensive approach, meaning presenting a positive case for the Catholic Church. There's a wealth of Catholic apologetics material. So, there's a wealth of books and articles and blog posts and podcasts. That, comment threads. Comment threads, yeah, <laughs> that defend specific Catholic beliefs. So, for example, if somebody says, you know, how could you guys possibly believe that Mary can hear your prayers and hear the prayers of millions of people simultaneously? That seems incoherent. And so, there's an apologetical approach that explains why actually, you know, that's not as crazy of a belief as you think because Mary now is in heaven and so she's tapped into this divine network where she's not limited by time or space. So, that would be like an apologetical response. But a far more pressing issue I found among my non-Catholic friends is like, why should I care about God at all? Like, why? what does religion have to offer me in my life? And so, what they're asking for, they're not challenging challenging a specific belief and demanding a defense, they're asking you to present a positive case for why they should even consider it at all. So, I think today, especially as the world becomes more and more disinterested and disenchanted with religion, we need this positive approach more than just a negative defense. Yeah, I feel like I noticed this even like in the short time, I don't know, uh, I really got into my own faith was that you went, I went from like sort of defending some of these weird, uh, quote unquote, weird beliefs of Catholicism to just like, I feel like people aren't even as open to like the resurrection and there's a God, right? Like, I think that's almost one of the more fundamental things that like you can offer people rather than like explaining purgatory to someone. 
Yeah, that's my path too. I, whenever I first uh, started looking into Catholicism, it was mainly focused on the differences between, say, Protestants and Catholics. And mm-hmm. so there was a lot of apologetical interest that I had that was trying to find out how the Catholic Church defends these beliefs that most Protestants would look at as unbiblical or strange. But like you, I think today those aren't the questions people are asking. Um, I was just talking to a group of seminarians and they said, uh, they just graduated from seminary and became priests. And they said, in our seminary training, we were presented classes on apologetics where we studied questions regarding Mary or purgatory or the saints or the Bible. But then now that we're in a real parish, like we found these aren't even the questions that people on the street are asking. They're asking about God's existence. They're questioning the reliability of the Bible in general. Why should we even trust the Bible? Why should we believe in things like the soul or immateriality? And so we need to get more back to the basics. And that's what I try to do in this book. It's not so much written to convince a Protestant to become Catholic as it is to try to convince an atheist, an agnostic, a, a spiritual but not religious person why they should take the Catholic Church seriously. Is there something that Catholics can get out of this? Sure. Yeah. I I think a couple things. One, I would say this book will give you good skills and strategies for talking with the atheists, the agnostics, the former Catholics in your life. So that's one important takeaway. But second, I found that many Catholics, are, although they have strong beliefs about these fundamental doctrines and tenets like that God exists or that Jesus is God, they aren't quite sure how to share that with others. So, for example... Uh, presumably, nearly every Catholic believes God exists. Although, according to some surveys, you can't even we can't even be certain of that. <laughs> but uh, presumably, most most of them believe God exists. But if you stop the average Catholic on the street and say, "Do you believe in God?" They'll say, "Yeah." You say, "Well, well why?" They probably won't have a good answer. They might say, "Well, it's it's just I, I know He's real, or I believe He's real, or I've experienced Him, or something to that effect." But they can't, for example, trot out any of the great historical or phys- philosophical arguments for God. And so, this book, I think, will help many Catholics get firm about the reasons why they believe what they do about many of these basic questions: why God exists, how Jesus is God, why we should consider the Catholic Church. And you get into that a little bit in the book. You provide, you say that there are several arguments that can be used to to prove that God exists, but you get into three of those, which are the universe, morality, and reason. Could you say a little bit, uh, kind of an elevator pitch version of those three reasons? Sure. And they're complicated. So, I'd point people to the book and the book itself offers just a summary of arguments that whole books and encyclopedias have been devoted to. But briefly, um, I think these are the three best reasons to believe in God. First of all, the universe. This is the reason that convinced people like Aristotle, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, some of the greatest geniuses in the Western tradition that God exists. And what they realized was that the universe, and by the universe, I simply mean the collection of all physical reality. The universe doesn't explain itself. There must be some cause of the universe beyond itself. And using philosophical reasoning, we can deduce some characteristics of this cause. This cause must be immaterial because it's beyond all matter. It must be timeless because it's beyond all time. And we know it's not within the universe because something within itself can't be its own cause. So, for example, my arm can't be the cause of me because there was no arm before I existed. 
And so the conclusion, therefore, is that the cause of the universe must be something beyond the universe. And this is what most people refer to as God. The moral argument says that we all believe that there are objective moral facts. There are things that are objectively right and objectively wrong. Not all moral truths are that way, but there are at least some. For example, almost all of us would agree it's an objective moral fact that torturing young children just for fun is wrong. It's not just your opinion. It's not just a, a belief that might sway depending on what people feel in any given era. That's wrong. Even if people think it's right, mm -hmm. they're wrong if they think that's true. So then if there are objective moral facts, where did these come from? And again, through some logical deductions, we realize they must come through some source of transcendent goodness. And again, this is what we would call God. And then finally, the last argument from reason, which is kind of a newer one. Uh, this one was made popular uh, particularly by John Henry Newman and C.S. Lewis and others. And it argues that- So newer in like Catholic terms, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Still 100, 200 years old. Yeah. Right. Right. But this one says that um, two things can't be held both to be true. One, that we all evolved blindly through evolution. And two, that we can trust our rational faculties. We can trust our minds. If number one is true, if we all sort of just evolved blindly through chance, then there's no reason to think that our minds would have been arranged to arrive at true beliefs. Our minds would have evolved merely to help us survive. And so we would have no reason to trust the workings of our mind, that what they're processing are really true beliefs. And if that's the case, then we really have no basis for any rationality. We'd, we'd be literally insane because we can't trust our minds. And so most of us believe that we can trust our minds, that we have rational beliefs. Therefore, number one can't be true, evolutionary naturalism. Therefore, there must have been some guiding force that gave us these true beliefs. And this is what we would call the logos, the logos, so the, yeah. the rational mind of God. So those those get could potentially get someone to say, yes, okay, a supreme being exists. Um, but in terms of, you know, joining a religion, yeah. um, I think your experience showed that it wasn't, it wasn't arguments. It was people and feeling a sense of belonging with this, this group of men that you first really encountered Christ, real Christian faith with. So what, what do you think? I don't know. It, there's like, need for belonging and not just arguments. Yeah, and I'd say both and. Okay. Both and. It's the great Catholic both and. You know, anytime we get into either this or that, usually it's, no, both. It's 100% mm -hmm. both. Do you and think there's any tension between, like, can one, can the arguments get in the way of the um, belonging? I, I would say properly presented, they don't get in the way. They don't click with a lot of people. You know, I know a lot of people who just, the, the arguments just fly right over their head. That's fine. There are many more avenues into the church. You know, G.K. Chesterton said that the church is a home with, a, with thousands of gates and people approach it from all different angles. And I think that's true. You know, in my experience, I, as you mentioned, I came in at first through the warmth of a community, through the experience of studying the Bible with a group of men, but that wasn't enough. I think that would have, that would have lasted for a while, but eventually once I started asking serious questions about God or the church or Jesus, I would have needed some intellectual undergirding. And that's what these arguments provide. The title of the book, and you should be too, strikes me somewhat as a, like a, 
a jab? Are you looking for maybe some hate reads and some people to... I hope so. Yeah. yeah. That'd be delightful. <laughs> All press is good press, right? <laughs> no, uh, we, we wanted something provocative for the subtitle because in my experience, religion today is treated much like your favorite band or your favorite flavor of ice cream. You know, I'm Catholic. That's just what I like. That's kind of, you know, my thing. But, you know, you might be Methodist or, you know, Buddhist or Muslim, whatever your, you know, preference is, good for you. But religion, and particularly Catholicism, makes objective claims that aren't just true for me or true for you. They're true or they're false. And so, that subtitle, and you should be too, hints at this fact that I think there are good reasons why everyone should be considering the Catholic Church, regardless of their personal persuasion, their background, their ethnicity, their interests. The Catholic Church has something for everybody, but more fundamentally, the claims of the Catholic Church are true. And so, anybody who wants to follow the truth, which should be everybody, should take it seriously. Your introduction kind of paints a pretty like bleak picture of the place of Catholicism in the world today uh, as kind of like the the least popular thing you can do would be joining the church, which I think probably is true in some circles. But I, I find that hard to reconcile with the fact that Pope Francis is probably the most admired person in the world right now. So is it is it really all that bad? <laughs> yeah, good question. I, I like the way you phrased it. I'd say Pope Francis is undeniably popular. He's by far the most popular religious leader on the stage today and one of the few most popular world leaders. However, I still think it's countercultural for somebody to become Catholic. It's one thing to say I admire the Pope. It's another thing to say I'm joining the Catholic Church. And I think for a lot of young people today, and I kind of mentioned this in the book, if you say, for example, I've started attending, you know, Elevate Church down the road, and people say, oh, that's that's awesome. Great for you. You know, if you say, I've entered RCAA and I'm joining the Catholic Church, this was my experience. Many people say, oh, really? That That's interesting. You know, and you get no nowhere near the reaction you would get for almost any other religious conversion. And so, that was, that was the point in the book. I still think even though Pope Francis is immensely popular and has undoubtedly brought great press to our church, I still think it's deeply countercultural to join the Catholic Church. Do you think it, it, you, you think it's just Catholicism or... Because I feel like you would get similar... I mean, in my own experience, if I've like met our friends who are either converting to Islam or Judaism or even like more if they're getting serious, if they're staying committed to their um, their Protestant faith even long after college or something, I feel I still feel like that is the countercultural thing, right? Like you have all the shit. Any pull, commitment. Yeah, like any, right. to, any yeah. institutionalized. Marriage belonging. or otherwise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I think any commitment to religion is probably countercultural. But again, to hammer at home, I think the Catholic Church is the most prominent religious institution and committing to an institutional religion is what makes it especially countercultural. Uh, if you're just embracing a particular faith or spirituality or philosophical worldview, it's not nearly as surprising or controversial as if you say, you know, that institutional church with all of its flaws and foibles, with the sexual abuse crisis, with all the screw ups and sin and sinners in the church, that's the one I'm going into. I think that's still countercultural more than anything else. But I think like a lot of young Catholics sort of just being Catholic and maybe their their context growing up in a parish with their family that goes every Sunday, um, 
like that does it doesn't feel super rebellious, yeah. right? Because because everyone they know in their context is just doing that. Right. One thing I also think of is last summer when the Podesta emails came out, the Hillary Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, he talked about how oh like conservatives become Catholic because that's the respectable branch right. of Christianity. No, I laughed when I saw those. I thought I, that's not my experience. Is that's not the respectable position. Most of my friends think that Catholicism is intellectually baseless. Just the opposite. I, what was what what did you think? No, I I kind of I think there are a lot of respectable Catholics. They, you know, <laughs> I mean we work with a lot of respectable Catholics. Yeah, so speak, speak speak for sure. yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, I mean it's you know, the speaker of the house is Catholic. Our mm-hmm. vice president was Catholic. The Nancy Pelosi. There are a lot of very how many, how many powerful. Sp- there's like four or five Supreme Court justices. Yeah, Catholic, right. Right. so they yeah, are. You know, true. they are high up there. Um, maybe not. So you know, maybe not in the younger millennial generation, but at least yeah. the people who are in charge right now. I, you know, I think they're pretty respect. Oh no, actually, <laughs> they're all that respected. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. But they're respectable Catholics. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. I, I, I guess I, I was writing this book a lot with mm-hmm. our generation sort yeah. of in mind, and I think at that level, when you're talking millennials, twenties, thirties, even forties, I think at the level of the culture, probably not. I think it'll be interesting to see in twenty, forty years if people will identify as Catholic or just having gone to a Catholic mm-hmm. school, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether that's in Congress or the head of a Fortune 500 company or otherwise. Thank you, Brandon. It was great talking to you. But one final question before we let you go. If you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or non-Catholic, who would it be? Oh, and I can only choose one? You can yeah. only choose yeah. one. Yeah. Or like a group. I don't know. Uh, sometimes yeah. popes get away with canonizing <laughs> right, a group, right. an entire <laughs> group of people. Yeah. You guys? That what I That's mean, what we're looking for. We, Thank we've you. We've never yeah. gotten that That's one, but we'll it. That's what it says on the paper, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. No, it specifically says pick your favorite. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> You know, it's hard for me to narrow it down for one, but three people who have had tremendous impact on me, who I've been yearning to see canonized and hope to before I die, are G.K. Chesterton, who we've been talking about here, and I've heard whisperings that his cause is on the way. So that's good news. Uh, Blessed Pier Giorgio Fersati, you guys know him, young Mm -hmm. saint, died when he was 24, tremendous model for young uh, Catholics. He perfectly balanced the spiritual life with a love for the poor and was deeply committed to the poor and sick in Italy. And hiking. And hiking. Yeah, he was an outdoorsman. And then finally, Dorothy Day, great, tremendous hero of mine. I quote her often in this book. I think it's a tragedy that her cause has not been yet opened. And I, I again, hope one day that she'll be a saint and hopefully before I die. All right. Great. Great. Thank you. The book is Why I Am Catholic from Ave Maria Press, wherever fine books are sold. And not fine books. And not fine books, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thank joining you, Brandon. us, Brandon. Thanks, guys. All right, now it's time for some listener feedback. We got a ton of great emails last week, which is always a consolation Mm -hmm. for us. Um, So thank you for sending those in, especially um, Pamela Morales, Margaret Manning, David Sills. And then I just love this because it shows like our geographic reach. We had Sarah Poles, who's a religious sister in Australia, and Dan Lechman, who's a Jesuit brother in Canada. So thanks, thanks, Commonwealth. (laughs) These are so great. And I sent... A couple quotes from one of them to my mom. I took out all the identifying info, just, <laughs> but my mom was like, oh, I'm so proud of you. Oh, so, oh man. Sweet. You guys yeah. are making my mom proud of me, so thank you. <laughs> 
We also had a Twitter poll, right, Zach? That's correct. So if you remember from our earlier story about the prisoners breaking out of jail <laughs> instead of meeting with the Pope, that was all because of Mary Razak's from the Catholic News Agency's reporting on the story. And so Mary actually had her own Twitter poll, which was, if you were in jail, would you rather A, break out of prison or B, eat lunch with the Pope? Uh, so we highlighted her Twitter poll and called for more responses. Um, 78% of 250 people said eat lunch with the Pope. Yeah. yeah. I'm definitely breaking out. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm running. Um, but Kevin <laughs> Kevin Jones uh, pointed out there's a Bible verse in the book of Proverbs that says, the guilty man flees when none pursueth. Hmm. Smart. Yeah, you still want to run away from prison? <laughs> no, one, no one is pursuing when <laughs> the Pope you gotta, is there. You got to eat with the Pope. Come on. The Pope shall set you free. <laughs> so yeah, we really, really love when you guys engage with us, whether it's sending an email or on Twitter. So keep sending those our way and review us on iTunes because we love everything that you guys send us. Also, we just got a tweet saying, uh, bring Jesuitical <laughs> show to uh, my university. Um, Let's make that happen. Yeah. So yeah. tweeted us, send us an email, jesuitical mm-hmm. at americamedia.org. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'd love to go on the road. All right. Consolations and desolations. Let's do it. The part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga? So I've got a consolation this week. Um, in previous episodes, especially when we had Jim on, we've talked about our respective prayer lives and how we kind of get into a routine or a slump. Um that's been happening to me for the past few weeks where prayer just kind of feels like something I have to check off of my to-do list just to be able to be like, here you go, God, I talk to you. I'm clear. I've go- <laughs> I go to mass on Sunday and I'm done. Um, but uh, my pastor this past Sunday gave a really great sermon where he was kind of like, look, the same way you build intimate relationships with your mom, your dad, your boyfriend, your sister, you got to do the same thing with God. You can't just be like, oh, here's this formula. I'm going to follow it and your spiritual life is going to get better. Um so that just kind of really resonated with me and it kind of forced me to get out of the slump that I've been in. Um, and it, it's been really, it's been going pretty well. Like I've gotten up out of my desk um, and actually just like talked to God, which is weird to say. Um, and even, even when Wait, I was at like, work, at work. And even like I was talking about my consolation with Eric Zundrup and I, I was describing it to him and I'm just like, yeah, you know, like I checked this off my list and I was like, wait, like I'm even forcing myself to like change the language that I use because it's not just something that I write in my little notepad and check off, you know? So it's been pretty consoling to have God present at America, at my cubicle, you know? (laughs) Very nice. All right, Zach, what about you? Unless you want to go last. Do you want to go last? I feel like you have a good one. I don't know. Do you have a bad one? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, there's, there's no such thing as a like bad or good consolation. Come on. Ashley, what do you got? Okay. No, now I feel bad because... <laughs> okay, I have a consolation. Um, I was at my cousin's wedding this past weekend. Uh, and this is a cousin who, like, we're the same age. We grew up together. And he's always just been, like, the goofy, immature one who plays video games. And even at, like, age 24, just ate cookies for breakfast. Not even, like, cookie crisp, like, cookies. (laughs) Respect. (laughs) But in the past year, he he got engaged. He was in his last year of medical school. And in that that period, his fiancé – had a malignant tumor and had to undergo chemotherapy and i just saw him like step up and become this like Mm -hmm. person that like you know i i guess he was always there but that was a side of him i had never seen before and seeing how this suffering was in front of him and 
God gave him the strength to confront it and overcome it and, you know, accompany his fiance through this. But it didn't he didn't have to change in order mm-hmm. to to, you know, overcome this adversity. He was still like the goofy image right. Jeffrey that I knew, <laughs> but in a way that was like so, so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and just seeing him, seeing him go through that was really consoling. Oh, was so. that beautiful. And congrats to them for getting yeah. married. And then they got yeah. married and it was beautiful. <laughs> and uh-huh. I'm so happy for them. So yeah. What about you, Zach? Uh, so there are a lot of emotions and spiritual consolations and desolations from yeah. Peru. But That's what happens when you're at 1,400 feet. <laughs> yes, you're, you're a little lightheaded. You see things a little differently. Um, but I think the one moment I want to pick, and it kind of sounds silly and dumb, but from day two of the hike, which was kind of grueling, we, everyone, I was in a group of eight people and we were all getting to know each other. Um, and we stopped for a bathroom break, but also it was snack time, uh, which is also where I tried Percy Pigs for the first time, uh, which is Eloise is cheering right. Our producer Eloise is cheering right now because it's the best English candy ever, I think. Yeah, <laughs> she confirmed. Um, but everyone was just, you know, tired and exhausted, but everyone's just like looking at each other, joking around, sharing different like treats and candies and <laughs> snacks with each other. And at the time I looked over at my girlfriend, Amanda, and I said, I'm pretty sure this is what heaven is like. Oh yeah, like everyone just sort of you know is resting and sharing mm-hmm. what they've got, and you know being open to one another. And so I was just very aware in that moment that this is what I—that's what I hope heaven's like. Yeah, anyway. me too. So that was that's my beautiful. consolation. Man, I gotta get to Machu Picchu. <laughs> yeah, or just or just if you had lunch with me more, we could share snacks. Oh <laughs> boy, you don't have to go to Machu Picchu. Just walk away from your desk. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Engineering by Antonio Delaware Bruce. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can find us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. And please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to... Kai Catechumen and Steve Pizza too. <laughs> I think Zach does. He's the one who likes your singing. Yeah, yeah. I, I have more fans than you would think. <laughs> All right, glad you're listening, Steve Pizza. And send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis and Olga Segura. We will see you next week. <laughs>